and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Anna Rutberg. And I'm Casey Muratori. And our movie this week is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yes, based on the comic book. Based on the comic book, yeah. And I feel like my whole thought throughout this was, this is just better as a comic book. Like, <laughs> why did you make this into a movie? Like, this movie feels, like, so hollow. Like, it, it, all of the things of interest or value about it are completely surface level, right? Yeah. It all, it's like, there's maybe some interesting things going on with, like, some of the fun visual effects and some of the editing or whatever. Right. And then underneath that, there's nothing. It's, well, it's, it, a, it's a movie yeah. that's, like, built on nothing. It's directed by Edgar Wright. Yeah. Who is very good at, like comedy style editing yeah so basically it, it had the the maximum chance of being presented well as probably it could have been for this kind of a film but yeah the screenplay is i would say this is probably so bad that it's in the bucket with like the worst possible screenplay like i can't imagine a screenplay worse than this for this <laughs> right yeah it's, Awful. It ends up making the movie feel completely forgettable. Like you, you just saw it, and you're like, uh, "What movie did I just see?" It, it, it comes away with that kind of feeling, even though there's tons of really interesting. I mean, they really tried to bring the comic bookness into it in a way that I thought was kind of fun. Yeah. Um. There's you know there's text. There's sound effects. There's really stylized action fight scenes in a very animated way. They almost feel like anime or something, right? Uh, all of that's really fun, and that's about it. Like, that's about all you can say about this movie. I would agree. I thought that uh, the comic book styling of the movie worked pretty much perfectly. I think it's one of the best examples of that that I've seen. There are definitely movies that try to do it. People loved uh, Spider-Verse, mm -hmm. for example. They were like, oh, it, it looks like a comic book. To me, it looked like a low-rent 1990s video game. I, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> I thought everything about the movie was terrible. We're, we, we're apparently going to do a movie, a podcast on that in the future, apparently. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think it looked like a comic book at all. I thought it didn't look, it looked like a low-rent video game from 1995, is what it looked like <laughs> to me. And, you know, this movie, on the other hand... I felt like did a better job looking like a comic book than Spider-Verse. It really – it felt like a comic book, not like someone trying to make something like a comic book. And again, I think that's just because Edgar Wright is a very good comedy director. He's one of the few directors who like can make visual comedy like constructed well. And um, he does a great job with this film – but just there was nothing here to direct. There's just no story. I, I also kind of feel like the comic thing, while well done, also feels really off in a way because I, I feel, and this is probably the script's fault, It nothing is well established. Like, what are the rules of this universe that we're in? It's yeah. And I think part of that is the problem of live action a little bit. I think if in a comic, a lot of those things you just don't question because it's already so stylized, right? But in this, yeah. it, like, starts out just, like, a fairly realistic story with, like, just some interesting effects going on. And suddenly, like, people have superpowers and are, and Scott Pilgrim, like, knows how to fight and, like, things are flying everywhere and, like, people are turning into coins. And it just, there's something, like, really off about that where you feel, like, super disconnected because suddenly yeah. nothing feels real. 
And you're just like, okay, so nothing is real and nothing matters. I have no idea what's going on. But that's a screen. To me, that's just pure screen no, no, pl- screenwriting problems. I was going to say, I th- so, as, I, as I said, I'm guessing this is a screenplay issue. It is. Um, because I think, you know, theoretically, there's a way in which you could make that work. I mean, there's plenty of movies that have fantastical elements weaved into a realistic world and we believe it, right? So I, I think it's not impossible that you could have done that. But this movie just doesn't even try. So there's a... The many ways that the screenplay is very bad for this movie are myriad. But the number one thing that it failed to do, that it needed to do to make this story work as a movie and as this style, is it needed to connect conceptually the metaphor of the fact that people, their previous relationships are obstacles to future relationships that's effectively what it – let me start with one thing. The comic book's probably lousy too. I haven't read it, but it's probably not good. The movie is probably hewing roughly in the same sort of vein as the comic book just condensed. So, you know, I think maybe what they were trying to do is a relatively direct translation. I think that was a terrible idea. So we'll just say that. I don't know if that's true. Maybe the comic's fantastic. I doubt it. But that said – So in order to make this screenplay work, what we needed to do was to say, okay, we are framing like the central conceit of the comic book, because I do know that much about it, is that you have to fight in sort of a like, you know, street fighter style, the ex, uh, well, ex-boyfriends and Mm ex-girlfriend of the person who you're now trying to date, right? Yeah. And this is a metaphor, obviously, because that doesn't happen in the real world. And we all kind of know roughly what that would conceptually mean. Well, and conceptually, it's fun. It's a clever idea, right? Which I think is the only reason this comic book is popular is because, like, that idea was, like, you know, something people latched onto. Yes. But the problem is that's – so that's an idea, and ideas are kind of a dime a dozen. The hard work comes in figuring out, okay, why? Why are we going to use that device? What are we going to show with that device? How are we going to connect that device to things people can actually relate to, right? And the problem with it in the in the movie, and I don't know, I assume to the same extent in the comic book, but that's a different story, is that there's no attempt made to actually analogize anything. So, you know, you get all the things that are in there are just purely just kind of like throw away whatever. It's like, okay, so the very first person that he fights, uh, he he like just starts punching the guy in the middle of a rock set. Mm-hmm. That guy – so first of all, normally if you would think I'm going to be conceptually confronting a early boyfriend of – you know, my new girlfriend, it's going to be when he and the girlfriend are like talking together or having some kind of experience together. Like if I was doing this, the first time that an ex-boyfriend would show up is they're walking by some place and yeah. she's like, that reminds me of my old school and my first boyfriend. And he should, right? There's yeah, some like connection the, exactly. between it's like, these two. It's when the sort of baggage that's associated with it that comes, person yes. comes and becomes something that's like relevant in the relationship, which also Correct. would solve a problem that this movie has, which is... The randomness of the encounters and yes. when they happen, 
right? Which is like they just appear out of nowhere for seemingly no reason or it's a coincidence. It's like, oh, you happen to date this person who we're just coincidentally seeing for another reason. And this happens like three times where you're just like, what are the chances we're running into her ex? Like it's just it makes no sense because the so. okay, so one of the things with magical realism which is sort of what this movie is. Yeah. In other words, magical realism, right, is when you I- effectively have some strong tether to the real world. So, you know, it's not like we went through the the wardrobe and now we're in Narnia, which is just is like a completely different place, right? Magical realism is like, oh, yeah, like I'm just I'm, – I play in a real band and we go to clubs and we play. And then sometimes, right, these people break through the walls and I fight them, right? It's just – it's it's – it's real, but then suddenly it's not. Yes. It's, right, so it's magical only for a little bit. And, that's, and, this, elements, and right? this movie, compl- this is where the movie is like the weakest. For what sure. I was going to try and say is, so the key to magical realism is that the magical realism is supposed to be integrated into the world in a way that does something useful for you. And what what they ended up doing was they did the exact opposite of what you do with magical realism. So with magical realism, right, a typical example would be like if you were doing the magical realism version of, of Harry Potter or something like that, because Harry Potter is more like pure fantasy. It takes place in a world where magic is just everywhere and they're kind of just always doing it. It's not like, oh, it's the real world and he goes to a real school, but some people well, have like, magic, yeah, in right? That, in that case, it's like there's the real world and then there's a hard line and then there's the magical world and they have two separate rules for both those worlds, right? So, Which is the Narnia thing as well. So Harry Potter, it would be like, oh, when he thinks, you know – it's only when he like thinks about his mother or whatever and her sacrifice that he has these magical powers. And that's like a thing that we use to talk about this like relationship that they had or didn't have or whatever. Right. So the idea in this film would be that the magical realism is not supposed to be layered into the story so that you actually encounter. You're not supposed to come up with situations where the ex-boyfriends would actually be there. That right. that's actually the opposite. It makes the magical realism not be magical realism anymore. It also creates right? a, a lot of confusion because yes. And the end, do they die? Like, did you just kill somebody? Maybe. And the, right. Whereas if it's if it's more obviously metaphorical or or magical, then that question, you know, when someone bursts into a pile of coins at the end, you're not like wondering if that person literally yes. died, right? Or yeah. if they literally have superpowers. Um, your brain has already shifted to like understanding that we're kind of in a different sphere of reality. Yes. Whereas in this movie, it's just really confusing, and I think that's why I said before it like it makes you kind of disengage mentally. Yes. We're like, oh, I can't take any of this seriously. It makes the movie feel so hollow and and forgettable. I mean, I would have done it totally differently because I just don't think – fundamentally speaking, I think this is just a bad idea. I don't think they conceptualized it very well. I don't think it really works. I think there's a reason this movie failed um, because, you know, it was a big-budget movie and they had high hopes for it and it was kind of a flop basically at the time when it came out. Um, and I yeah. and I remember there was actually this sort of idea Hollywood-wise where like, oh, like comic book nerds don't open a film, so don't do that. It's like actually no – they totally do. It's just this film kind of sucks, right? Like it's like it's not a good story. It's not – it doesn't really connect. It has a lot of issues. It's not that interesting, right? Yeah, I mean I think the um, – you can say that the, the directing is creative and really skillful in a lot of ways. But that's about it. Like I said, it's the most polished turd you can get, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. they took a screenplay that just should have been thrown out and they just like really, really put a slick presentation together for it. But the problem is that's just not – 
enough. And so what I was going to say, though, is so the magical realism elements, you really needed to make those work. And so, you know, there's a lot of things you could have done that would be more interesting. Probably something that I think would have worked better is if she morphs into the ex-boyfriend or something like that, like so that they can be a little bit more. Because one of the problems that you have, too, is her standing around watching. Metaphorically, this doesn't make any sense because what you're fighting is her psychology in the real world, Mm -hmm. right? Meaning you've got two people and her baggage is what you're fighting, essentially, right? Is is the, the metaphor that they're sort of creating. But she's just standing around watching. So now it makes the metaphor visually confusing and not work right. Because now it's like, wait, but she wants you to win maybe and she's watching, but really she would be the person. So she kind of needs to at least split in half at that point because or something. Yeah, and it, it just it yeah. I don't know what the best example well, would have I, been, I but it's like this it would have been hard to even if you had fixed a bunch of other problems, that part makes it feel weird because you're just always like, well, why doesn't he just r- like run off with her? I mean, or it I, doesn't make sense. I guess I can see there being a different way of looking at this where it's not her baggage, but it's his insecurity. That's the problem. He's insecure about the fact that she's had all these past relationships. She might be fine, you know, like with the fact that she's had these past relationships. So you could look at it as it's 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 more of a Scott Pilgrim problem. It's so the story is like so focused on him. But that doesn't work either unless again, so I totally agree you could do that story and that would be cool too, but that's not what this story is. In this story, they're specifically out to get him, meaning they're the aggressor, right? Yes. It's not him like so again, you could do the magical realism of that story. It would be more like Indiana Jones, like you're an archaeologist and you're finding out these things about people's past that scare you or whatever. That's not what's happening. He's like trying to avoid them he's like asking her if they could just not have people come to kill him right it's it doesn't work right it totally deflates the idea that it's his problem because he seems to have no problem with it he he just wants to be blissfully unaware of it that guy sends him the email he deletes it right if he is the one who's supposed to be obsessing about her baggage he would be upset about that email he'd be like what who is this guy and he would go ask her right he would be a jealous like new boyfriend like who was he what was he he never asks he doesn't care right so there's no way i believe that this story was supposed to be about him getting over the baggage because she's the one who seems to have hang-ups right but it's also like the movie sort of is wishy-washy i feel like about that like at the end it's like when he gets the redo, he's like, oh, it's about self-respect or well, whatever. Let's not even go. We, we, well, I mean, we should because this is a movie podcast. I'm just saying, I, I, I yeah. feel like I'm just saying the movie has no idea no. What, it, what it's trying to say. Right. Like, I think that was just an example of like, I agree with you that, that it seems to be more of like a her yeah. problems thing. But then at the end, it makes it feel like it was the whole time maybe more of a Scott Pilgrim problem. And it's. It's just, yeah, it's a mess. It's it has they they had no idea what they were actually trying to say with this movie. I and neither of us has read the graphic novel series, so like maybe it's better, right? right I like, doubt it, but it, maybe it's better. I'm just saying, I'm we're not talking about that. That might be fine. That might have solved some of the problems that we're having. Yeah. I could imagine certain things were better just because it's longer. It it, um, it probably would have felt a little bit more believable because sometimes if you spend more time with something, even if they don't get the details any more right, just the fact that there are more details like, makes it sink in better. Yeah. So it's very possible that a long graphic novel series feels better than the condensed movie version for something like this, for sure. The self-respect thing, though, 
That makes no sense. So at no point in this movie does it actually seem like the problem with Scott Pilgrim is that he lacks self-respect. Like, he's not the most upstanding person. He's not a particularly likable protagonist. But I wouldn't say that, like, his number one problem that needs to be resolved in the climax of this movie is that he lacks self-respect. No, the character who lacks self-respect is actually Ramona Flowers. I would agree. She's, like, this. the whole movie, she is basically a Mm non-person. Like, she just kind of is there and he likes her for some mm-hmm. reason. This actually ties into what I said last week. I mentioned this during the um, When Harry Met Sally podcast, which is like, it seems like in a lot of romances, it's like the guy just likes the girl or the girl likes the guy or whatever because they're in the story together. And this is the perfect example of that, where he just likes her, I guess, because she looks cool. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to believe that that's like, makes all of this worth it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yep. there's no relationship there so the old school the old school people knew this there's a uh there's i've mentioned this before on the podcast there's william goldman has written a number of books that i would highly recommend reading just because he's a good writer guy wrote the princess bride Mm -hmm. butch casting sundance kid like all the president's men famous screenwriter wrote a bunch of books and one of the things he does in one of his books on screenwriting is he just goes like here's a screenplay that i just like put together and now i'm gonna like show it around to a bunch of people who I know in the film industry and get their comments on it, right? And he just has like, there's like one of his friends who's a director comments on it, one of his friends who's a screenwriter comments on it, that kind of thing. Um, And one of the complaints from one of the people was exactly what you just said. He was basically like, all right, so the romance between these two people, you know, guys will fall in love with girls because they're beautiful or whatever, right? So, you know, you cast a beautiful actress and a guy will believe that. But he's like, who that's not going to work the other way around. It's like the the female lead needs to be sold better. She needs a reason why she Which wants to be in a relationship with this guy because— Which is 1,000 percent the situation for Scott Pilgrim. Yes, and what I was going to say is like—and it does seem to be true that, that you know, when people, you know, for—there is a gendered buy-in difference, I guess is what I would say. It it is the case that guys will relate to that more quickly if that's what you do, and women will be like, "Wait, why? What? What is? What's her interest in this guy?" It doesn't help too that Michael Sarah's not good looking. I was looking. just gonna say, I was just right? gonna say that I'm like, if you had cast a guy who was kind of like handsome or cute, yeah. I think I can see why she might be like, you know, she's delivering the, the books, yeah, and he like, asks her out, and if he was cute. She might, just, she say might yes. just say yes. Right. But he's Michael Sarah. He's like yeah. such a ugly, awkward dude. Yeah. There's sorry, n- Michael Sarah. I sorry. love Michael Sarah, but no, this, no, it's true. I, I think he's totally miscast for this movie. Uh, I mean, I think I get what they were sort of thinking with him, but it's wrong. It's wrong for the story. Um, and there are things like the typical, like there's there's girls who like to date guys in a band or whatever. She doesn't know that yet, right? And she there's, doesn't seem to care either. So, so it's like. There's no there's no obvious reason that the audience can imagine well, we can why believe, she's interested we in We can actually believe Knives Chow. Yes. We can believe that she likes him. Yes. Because she is younger, she's naive, she is thinks the fact that he's in a band is like super cool. And we that watch her watch the band practice and get really into it, yeah. right? So it's like you're like, "Okay, you know, yeah, he's not the most uh, attractive gentleman, but 
we've done this work to establish why this girl has basically become his groupie. Like we yeah, we yeah. get it, right? And with Ramona, you're like, I don't know why. Like it doesn't really make sense. And you can't just expect people to buy that just because it's Michael Sarah. I don't know. Like it, it doesn't really work that way. Maybe it would, like you said, maybe if it's Chris Pine, everyone's like, oh, okay. Like, well, you know, she just thought he was cute. So he's like, this guy's really good looking. I'll give him a shot, right? Believable. I think we mentioned, but, we, we talked about that before in, a, I think it was Vertigo. <laughs> we were talking about that where it's like. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, it's, yeah like, it's the same thing with Jimmy Stewart. It's like, maybe if you had cast a different person in that role, yeah. you can believe that the woman is going to do some of the things she's doing. Yeah. But just the current way it's working, it doesn't, it's not believable. Yeah. And so either way, you know, I believe you can sell an unattractive romance. No problem. It happens all the time. Sure. But it's just you have to explain it, right? You have to explain it more. That's just the, the you know, that's just the unfortunate way of the world, you know. Anyway, point being, that part doesn't work at all in this movie. And I think for the William Goldman reason, where it's like, you got to give someone a reason for this. And you're not really doing it. And maybe you could have brushed over that by casting an attractive actor, but you didn't. So now you've got another problem. From there, it only gets weirder. They have their first date. And I guess I'm supposed to believe that this first date goes well because they end up sort of sleeping together, but not really. But the date is just kind of really mundane and uninteresting. So not only do I not know why she was interested in him, and I'm just assuming that he's interested in her because she's, like, cool and mysterious. Yeah. But then they kind of just, like, have an awkward conversation that isn't interesting, and then they... They also have... Uh, they also have zero chemistry. Yeah. No chemistry. It doesn't feel like it. Uh, you know, especially when you think about what we just watched last week with Harry, when Harry met Sally. Yes. The chemistry is, like, you get it. Well, I think the thing, too, you know, if we we were talking about the romance thing, is when Harry Met Sally is also a great example of, I don't need either of those actors to be attractive. No. They completely yes. sold both characters and why these two people would fall in love, no matter what they looked like. Yes. And to me, that's just, like, great writing. It's like, I believe these two people in love, and I don't have to spot you that fact just well, because, it, like, yeah. okay, well, they're two attractive people, so I guess they go out with each other. No, it's like... Those two people could have been any two well, people, fact, and I would have believed you. In fact, it's almost the same dynamic where you have Meg Ryan, who's a very classically sort of beautiful yes. woman, and Billy Crystal, who's, he's not ugly by any means, but he's definitely not like a classically handsome man either. And, right, and, he's not going to turn heads on the dance floor or whatever, you know. And right. so you have literally the example of, of that. Exactly. Where, where it, and you, you don't doubt it at all. You totally buy it. But they also sold Meg Ryan. Yes. So they didn't just count on it's like, oh, it's the beautiful women, so of course the guy's going to be interested. They also were just like, she's really interesting. Yes. And she, their conversations are really interesting, and she makes a good conversation partner for him yes. and vice versa. So you know why he would be interested in her separate from the fact that she was good looking, right? Yep. Um, and so, yeah, in this movie, none of that. I have no idea why anyone's interested in anyone, again, other than it's like, oh, it's this this cool chick I saw at a party that's all I've got. You can under so yeah, you can totally buy his reasons. Like she's. Cool I mean, looking. in the shallow sense, in but... the most shallow way, uh, you can buy why he likes her. Uh, yep. But he likes her in a really superficial way. He doesn't even know her. Exactly. Uh, but you can believe that. You yeah. totally can believe that, right? It's the kind of thing that a twenty-two-year-old at a party like happens all the time, right? Um, 
but it's not interesting. Like, that's yeah, the exactly. thing. It's like, in other words, yes, it happens all the time, but unlike when Harry met Sally, it's not interesting. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I can't, like I said, I do think that there's an asymmetry there gender wise, right? So I can believe you. There are guys who just saw some girl at a party and now they're just like obsessed with that girl or something. Yes, I've seen this before. Sure. Problem is, so <laughs> like yeah, why do we want like, to watch that? Yeah. Like it's like I don't know that I care. And so you had to give me you know, and it almost it, the movie almost went out of its way to not to make me not care. Like he's not a very likable protagonist. He's a dick to Knives Chow, who's very nice, and there's no real reason why I should be rooting for this guy. I didn't particularly like him. I don't care about his predicament he's he doesn't even care about his own future or anything like that he's just like yeah just around playing in a band and it's fine so i'm just like what is my motivation to buy into this guy anyway well the funny thing too is with knives chow is like at the beginning they get a whole scene where they hang out and do stuff together you know they go they go get pizza and they go to the cd store and they yep they play the the ninja sort of dance dance revolution style game and you totally get why they are in a relationship together. And and Ramona Flowers never gets anything like that with him. No. And so it's also weird because as as a character, like I feel like we actually, the audience, we, likes and understands Knives a lot more than Ramona, which is not probably, I mean, you're not meant to to dislike her or anything. You're meant to feel sorry for her, I guess, but it's it's kind of weird. It's very strange. The character, like, Knives gets way more character development, and you're more interested in a relationship with her than you are in the, with the relationship with Ramona, and yet, the movie just doesn't seem to care that much about that. She does come up occasionally, so, like, you know, the, there's the fight scene at the end where she and Ramona fight, right, and stuff like that, but it's just like... I don't get it. Like, well, yeah. I don't know what you were trying well, to do I here, know, really. I, I know I mean, people People always point to this movie as, like, the best example of the manic pixie dream girl trope. Manic pixie dream girl. Yes. Okay. Uh, and I can totally see why. This is a trope? Yeah, it's called the manic pixie dream girl, where it's basically you just have a, a female character who's in the story who doesn't really have a character, who okay. doesn't really do anything, and it just serves as sort of like a plot device or or a way for the male character to like have to do things. Um, and I definitely think that's true in this case. I mean, it, so one thing I could believe is that like this trope comes from from the fact that like the person who wrote the comic book saw, saw some girl like that at a party and they never got together. So this is just like a hypothetical like thing. So of course they wouldn't know what happens because they never experienced the second half of the story. I can believe that. But either way, uh, I guess what I'd say is sure. I mean, it, it, that's definitely what's happening here because she's, not really she's so you know what she is honestly she's kind of like the girl from ghost world if we never learn if i if i had to i'd fill in the the girls from ghost world's backstory right which is another graphic novel that i did read okay um it's very good uh you know it's like but you didn't bother to tell me so i'm just having to guess right that that's what that that's who this is and it's unfortunate because yeah, like this movie spends a crap ton of time doing things like battling seven X's and I just don't care. And if you had just spent some of that time instead on telling her story a little bit more, d- establishing why these two people are going to be in a relationship, establishing why he's more interested in her, 
explaining why we have things like she appears in his dream before uh, she actually he's ever seen her yeah. before, right? And you know that is another kind of metaphorical thing, like oh, like this person is my dream girl or something like that. And the problem there again is it's just like this incomplete, like hanging metaphor. There needed to be more of like when we say someone is your dream girl, what we're we're not saying that they appeared briefly in a dream on roller skates skating by and you never saw them. Like, yes, literally that is a dream girl, but that's not actually what that means. So you're creating a metaphor that rather than strengthening the concept of a dream girl, confuses the concept yeah. of a dream girl. So now I'm even more confused <laughs> as to what's supposed to be going on. Like, does she actually... Is she actually in his head somehow or something? And that's why he's interested in her? Because I assume it was just supposed to be metaphorical, but it's so freaking confused that I don't even know what it's supposed to be anymore. I think confused is the best word for this script. It's just like it's all over the place. It has no idea what it's about or doing. It has too many things occurring at the same time. So basically you have this idea that there's a battle of the bands and trying to sign this contract. None of that is interesting. It takes up time in the movie and is dumb. And you end up with like, wait, so are they, is that supposed to be a thing that we're caring about? Because the main character never seems to care about it. The band vaguely seems to care about it. It arguably gets sort of resolved at the end because they do sign with that guy, but no one cares. And also he's the villain and no one seems to care about that either. Just like, what is the story to this (laughs) freaking film? Like, sit me down and tell me what story you were actually trying to freaking tell here because I don't know. Like, Well, then they have other stuff too. Like they have his roommate who's like the gay roommate who's like a big part of the story but also isn't relevant at all. Like I kind of get the sense. That's Kieran Culkin. Is that his name? Kieran Culkin? Yeah, yeah. Macaulay Culkin's brother or something? Yeah, he looks just like like him. What I will say is loved his performance. I don't think I've ever seen that guy before. No, he's great. He cracked me up. Uh, he was one of the like bright spots of the film yes. when he was on because he had all these like kind of you know quirky ways of like being being kind of uh, uh, what do you want to call it like he he's he's like the wise old magical figure almost <laughs> like he just kind of knows what's going on all the time uh, I don't know what you you want to call that like a guru basically mm-hmm. like just who knows what's going to happen in the story before it happens all the time and can never do something wrong, right? This is, this is also gets into the area of, like, this being an adaptation of a thing that's quite a bit bigger. I mean, I I think Scott Pilgrim, the series, is, like, very long. Like, it's a pretty substantial series. And it does make you wonder if it's, like, they just tried to squish together too many things from the story in a way that just, like doesn't Maybe. work it's just too haphazard and they don't connect i don't know um if anybody in the movie club has read the the series yeah. obviously uh i'd like to hear about it yeah, because i'm not sure maybe nobody's read it but most um, comics i find do not have strong storytelling they tend to be they tend to have similar problems to modern movies where they're just kind of all over the place so i'm guessing that it isn't super strong that just doesn't seem to be typically where comics excel there are some times when they do but it's rare like most time when i read them i'm like this was all over the place um so maybe this is the rare comic when it wasn't like i said hey ghost world wasn't ghost world was great very very well written um but i'm guessing it's probably not in that category if it is i would like to hear about it maybe i'd go read it find out cuz i'd be interested to know what the story was supposed to be yeah well, 
in any case, I mean, I don't know how much more there really is to say. I mean, there's probably plenty if you want to keep going after it. But like at the end of the day, it's just like it's a really sort of like forgettable movie. It's it's very forgettable. And I think it's also just kind of insufferable is the other thing. So I'd say there's two kinds of forgettable movies. There's forgettable like, OK, so here's one thing I will say. Here's a here's a compare and contrast for you. So uh, everything everywhere all at once. Yes. Completely forgettable movie. Just like Scott Pilgrim. Very flashy cinematography, uh, comedy, well done comedy editing. Also the magical like, magical realism kind of. Just like Scott Pilgrim, magical realism. Just like Scott Pilgrim, enjoyed watching that film. I the act of watching it, I liked. Yes. Right. Yes. Very forgettable. Don't think the story held together particularly well, but watching it, I was into it. I was yes. like, oh, this is funny. I laughed a bunch of times. There was some great scenes in it, right? Yes. Um, Scott Pilgrim, not at all. I think it that's was, a, it was insufferable yeah. to watch this movie. That's a great comparison, actually, I think, because both are doing the same kind of yes. magical realism thing where you're taking like a real world and then you're you're introducing some concepts that make it totally weird and otherworldly and fantastical right and i totally agree everything everywhere all at once uh was a a joy to watch it was so much fun and uh and this movie i kept having to remind myself to like stay engaged to not have my mind drift because it was just it's rough it really is i think it's it's sort of both of these movies are dessert right they're not the main course but one of them was a really delicious dessert, and the other one was just kind of like one of those really bad, you know, sort of uh, flourless hot chocolate cakes that I hate. They're just oh, like, flower- no, 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 flourless chocolate cakes can be great. Uh, I'm just That's saying for great- my purposes. I'd say it's like a sugar-free candy or something. Okay. So, you know, so when you actually go to eat, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's vegan cheesecake. I don't know. Whatever. That could it's probably like, be good, too. You're right. Okay. Uh, whatever it is. <laughs> you're bad at picking bad sorry. dessert examples. They're both desserts and one was disgusting. That's what I'd say. <laughs> so in neither case were you going to get a nutritious meal, but in one case, you liked eating it. Yes. Right? You had fun. It was dessert. It was what it was supposed to be. And off you go. So I do think there's there's just something fundamentally lacking in, in Scott Pilgrim that means that you can't even really enjoy it as a throwaway treat like you can with everything everywhere all at once, where it's like, that was just a fun movie to watch. And Well, I would also happily watch that again. I really Because it's fun. Yes. Because it's fun. I would not want to watch Scott Pilgrim again. Yeah. And this is the second time I've had to watch it. And I I didn't like it the first time and I really didn't like it this time. I saw it in the theater when it came out. I don't know. I I remember liking it more then, but I was like I don't know how old I was. I Mm. I think I was probably high school or in college. I don't remember when what year this came out. And I I think I it probably plays a little better to the youths or the youths at the Maybe. time, not probably youths today, um, because it's like you know it's got video game humor and uh, right. and that kind of stuff. And so I think I think you know it probably worked better for eighteen year old Anna or however old I was when it came out. What year was this movie actually? Twenty ten. So I was twenty. So I may have seen it in theater. I don't remember. Probably I did. I guess I didn't like it. I thought it was dumb. And now that I've seen it a second time, I think it's really dumb. Yeah. The other things I would say about it is even just basic stuff, like why the movie is structured the way it is, didn't make any sense to me. Because 
like as far as I can tell, the only person in the movie who's actually obsessed with video games is young Neil. Um, everyone else couldn't care less about video games. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, you know, he and knives, Scott Pilgrim and knives Chad play a, a video game that they're obviously good at in the arcade. Well, and he knows that he knows that Pac-Man sort of I mean, trivia thing. Okay. But the point is that's the only thing we've ever seen him play. And if you're playing video games in an arcade, you're in 2010, you're not exactly like a video game obsessed person. You're not like a gamer, right? He doesn't even have a game system at home. We've never seen him play one, right? And so the idea that for some reason, the metaphor for him in, you know, confronting this past of another person would be a video game makes no sense because everything else is about music. So you'd think that it would be a musical metaphor of some kind that would be the way he would confront the past because that's his world. He's always playing bass. He's at band practice. He's like a musical person. And as far as we know, he just sometimes goes to the arcade with his girlfriend to play the dancing game, just like everybody does. Like, that's just a common thing. Oh, we stopped at the arcade to do whatever. It's not, that's not game-obsessed people. Maybe in 1983, that would have been true, but it's not true in 2010. So even the central conceit of this film doesn't make any sense to me. It's completely ridiculous because it doesn't fit the character. And so, I mean, I can't think of a single thing in this screenplay that makes sense. None of it does. It's all fighting at cross purposes, right down to weird stuff like he fights the stunt doubles of the other guy. Why would the stunt doubles be involved in a metaphorical fight with an ex-boyfriend? They didn't date her, did they? Or maybe they did. (laughs) I don't know. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't make any freaking sense. Like, as fun as... Like, the individual scenes are fun. Like, the scene where he fights... It's not that fun. Well, I guess it's not that fun. Yeah, that's the thing is it's like, I think at first there's a novelty to those fight scenes and they're kind of fun. And then they just happen again and again. And, like, by the time you get to the, like, the two, the Japanese, like, twin guys, you're just bored out of your mind, right? Like, you've kind of completely disengaged with the the battles at all. Were they ever fun? I I feel like when it first starts... There's like a novelty to it where you're like, oh, this is kind of different and interesting, right? You're like, now we're fighting, I guess. And there's like superpowers and people are flying. Like the first scene where the, um, I can't remember his name, Patel. Yeah. Uh, flies in or whatever. And the first, like, I think at that point you're like intrigued, right? Cause you're like, okay, what is going on? Right. And I think from there on, you just, they each get more and more stupid and boring. It's not that they're individually uninteresting. I think it's just that you're disengaged. Like you don't care. But I would disagree that they're even interesting. Because what is interesting about that scene? It's just like, okay, there's some fight choreography. The dude does like a Bollywood dance, I guess just because he's Indian or something. I don't even know why he would be doing a Bollywood dance because that doesn't make any sense. It's not no, like... No, none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. Well, but my you're point actively, is... You're actively engaged for that period of time because I think at that point you're still trying... Your brain's still working at trying to make sense of it and... and not long after that, you just shut your brain shuts down. My brain shuts off immediately because I'm just like, there's nothing going on in the scene, right? So, in other words, let's let's talk about like a Spielberg thing for for a second here, right? Let's let's talk about how like action sequences that work. So, for an action sequence to work, you need to know a few different things. You need to know the layout, 
So, like, where you are going to be having the action scene. Like, spatially. You need to know the stakes. So, like, what is the hero trying to accomplish and how far are they from accomplishing that thing, right? And then you need to know the sequence of events that leads to that. Usually there has to be a point where it's clear that the hero figures something out or is able to do something they were trying to do that makes the action, action sequence work. And you can just go watch Indiana Jones for the master class. Every single one is this way. You see all the pieces. You know where everyone is and what they're doing. You know what the hero is trying to accomplish. And you see the moment where they finally get it, right? And it's satisfying. Action sequences aren't just a series of punches. But that's all they are in this movie. Mm -hmm. When that uh, first boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, flies into the band practice, we have no idea what the goal even is. And when he finally does punch the guy and he breaks into coins, I have no idea why. Why was that punch, instead of all the other punches, the one that finished no, this guy there, off? There's no, right? there's no rules to this universe There's no all. rules and no stakes because we yeah. have no idea what the criteria are for winning or losing. If, if Indiana Jones is hanging on to a ledge and trying not to fall off and the villain is above him, we know what's going on. He's trying not to fall off the ledge. He has to figure something out so that he can either come down to a lower place or pull himself up and flip the bad guy off or something, right? We know what's going on. And every time you ever see a Spielberg action sequence, it's a masterpiece. There's never a mistake, right? In this movie, they had seven chances to make a single action sequence that had any sense to it whatsoever. Failed every time. Yes. There's yeah. literally no sense to it. You know, I... I just don't know what the thinking was. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the thinking was either. The movie is a huge mess. I mean, what else can you say? That's there's, all I got. There's really not much redeeming about it other than some of Edgar, Edgar Wright's directing, I think. And Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's some very funny editing moments. Like, the things he's very good at, comedy editing, like with the gay roommate where they like sits up in bed and then there's like another guy and then there's like another guy like they keep sitting up yeah and yeah yeah surprising you. like stuff like that is just great like it's it's funny uh when he jumps out the window like when knives is at the door yeah and uh scott jumps out the window behind and like runs around behind like it's, and grabs the jacket yeah, yeah yeah stuff like that is just it's funny it's just it's well cut together yeah absolutely it's just you don't care exactly right? you exactly. just don't care and you don't and there, there may be the two characters who you mildly care about would be Knives and the gay roommate. I think those are the only two characters that have any bit of actual personality. Um, yeah, and with Knives, I think it's because they actually spend a lot of time on her, which so it kind of works in yeah. that sense. With the gay roommate, I think it's just because Karen Calkin was just he's charismatic, doing a good job. Yes, I think he just sold it because they didn't give him that much to work with, but he just like kind of had a good way of delivering. Uh, his line so that, like I said, he felt like the wise old man in, you know, the story who the hero goes to for advice and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that just played well that his roommate would be doing that for some reason. Yep. Um, so you liked his character even without there really being all that much time to, you know, get to know him. Anyway, I think that's it for Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I mean, yeah, I mean... I... Just repeat everything I just said about every single one of the fight sequences, and you've got my review of this film. So, <laughs> yep. horrible, horrible. Pretty much, pretty much just a mess. Pretty yeah. much a mess. So, and I do like, like I said, I do like Edgar Wright. I loved Hot Fuzz. I thought that was a great film. Yeah, um, yeah. much lower budget, I think, uh, but just much better movie. Also, tons of stars in this movie. 
We were watching the opening credits. Oh, we were like, oh, my God, look at all these names. I mean, a lot of them were pretty new. Uh, you know, they hadn't had their big Marvel moments it's or whatever inc- yet. It's but. insane how many famous people there yep. are. It's like Allison Pill, uh, Chris Evans, Brie Larson, Anna Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot. I can't remember all the famous people, but there's a lot of people whose names you would recognize they were pretty, who yeah, I probably didn't recognize when all, I saw it originally. They were all young and and pre-Marvel days, but anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with a very different movie, The Lobster. I have seen The Lobster before, and it was I, I really loved it when I saw it the first Same. time. We'll see if it holds up. Same. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, kind of the opposite of this movie. Yeah. One that takes its premise so, so seriously. Yep. Um, so th- that will be a very good back-to-back, yeah. I think. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it. So we will see you guys next week for The Lobster. Bye.